0: This week on Excelsior Journeys, it is part four of our Transformers the Movie 35th anniversary celebration. I not only have Flynn Dilley here to talk about Five Vases of Darkness and everything that happened immediately after the movie, but I also have F.J. DeSanto, the current torchbearer of the Transformers franchise, to talk to you about the War for Cybertron trilogy. He's got a lot to say about it. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Sheroy. Prepare to ignite. Welcome to this very special Excelsior Journeys miniseries celebrating the 35th anniversary of Transformers the movie. Every Tuesday in August, you will hear from various cast and crew members and other special guests discussing the development, The voices, the music, the aftermath, and the film's legacy. So get ready to go beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Till all are one and ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in for over 100 episodes. So thrilled with how everything's come come along, especially this five-part miniseries of the 35th anniversary celebration of Transformers the movie. If you've listened to parts one, two, and three, thank you so much for doing so. Any sort of feedback from you is always appreciated. If you enjoy these sorts of themes, if you want me to continue on with those, please let me know. I am, I am really at your beck and call, listeners. And here we are in part four. Now, We have spoken about the development of the movie. We have spoken about the voices that brought those characters to life. We have spoken about the music behind every single scene in that movie. But what comes after? Now, we know, and you'll be hearing a little bit from Flint Dilly later on in this episode, about the immediate future right after the movie with the Five Faces of Darkness sequel miniseries that started up season three of transformers generation one and a little bit beyond that but transformers obviously did not end with the three-part miniseries the rebirth in 1987 it has gone on in many different directions and the latest one really has me um, really had had me excited as soon as i saw started watching it on netflix and granted, I only got to watch a couple of episodes of the of Siege, which is part one of the Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy. Only got to watch a couple of episodes before my Netflix account. We decided to cut it short for a little while. But this month, we got back into it, and I immediately went right back in, watched Siege from the very beginning, and was so taken with that, I started watching Earthrise immediately. And... As we are recording this, just a few hours ago, I finished watching Kingdom, and it made me so grateful that the showrunner of the War for Cybertron trilogy, F.J. DeSanto, has agreed to come on and talk about being the current torchbearer of this franchise, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you writer-producer F.J. DeSanto. F.J., how are you, sir?
1: Oh my God! No, no pressure with the torchbearer line. Oh my God!
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you no, know, I, you know how it is. Like there's always some sort of iteration of Transformers, and you know, you are you you're not going to be the last one, but you are the latest one. So yeah, that's. I, and, I'm
1: the fortunate one. Yes, if, 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 to be honest, to very lucky to be involved with this franchise.
0: Yeah. So tell us, tell tell us a little bit before we go. Back to to the very beginning of of how you how you got into Transformers in the first place. Tell us a little bit about Kingdom, the miniseries that wraps up this whole trilogy.
1: So you want me to start with Kingdom? Kingdom, which is the last part, is the first time we're seeing the Beast Wars characters mm-hmm. on screen all together like this in like 25 years. And it yeah. was always designed to sort of coincide with the 25th anniversary, and and it's been something I've had to shut my mouth about for about three and a half years nice and it's also the most daunting of the three chapters we've we've done because of the responsibility yeah of reintroducing those characters in and and doing them in a way where they interact with the so significantly with the g1 characters Mm -hmm. so that was always the the sort of most daunting challenge of the the project, to be honest yeah. with you, the scariest thing. That was the one like, even in the office, like all the artwork was hidden behind a door and all that stuff. Cause we didn't want people coming in and being like, oh shit, you're going to be doing these characters and all this stuff, but yeah, that's what Kingdom is. The Kingdom represented a challenge in which we had to tie up the whole war for Cybertron story, mm-hmm. which is naturally because of the nature of the first two chapters, G1 centric
2: yeah, and
1: find a way to incorporate the Beast Wars characters into that particular story while wrapping the whole thing up, which was not easy. Thanks to very, very talented writers and very talented animators and directors and things like that, we were able to pull it off.
0: Yeah, I, I was really, really taken by it. And actually, the, the funny thing was that I spent a lot of time on watching Earthrise wondering when they were going to arrive on Earth and have to be reformatted in the in the way so that they are following the the look of the line of the earthrise line that hasbro released. Now did they did they come to you and say that they were going to take their line in their own direction and just kind of let you
1: no no handle no, everything? No, what happened was now that the show's done I can be a little more <laughs> outgoing or sort of more forthcoming in sort of the behind the scenes stuff of it all. Nice. Is, the honest to God truth is we knew that the earth modes were going to be in there. Yeah. But what we couldn't figure out in six episodes was a story reason on how the G1 characters would get their Earth modes. Yeah. Because we couldn't have them go to 1984 Earth and then go to prehistoric Earth and all this stuff in six episodes when, like I just said earlier, I have to wrap three the, the main story up Yeah, while introducing these Beast Wars characters. And what I don't want to do is take any time away from the Beast Wars characters. And Hasbro, to their credit, understood this. Mm -hmm. We did play with an idea that unfortunately got cut of, I I can spoil Kingdom a little bit on here, but in the first episode after the crash, Optimus is damaged. Yeah. And eventually there's like a medical bay scene and all that stuff. There was a bit where we played with the idea of the Beast Wars characters having the technology to sort of help him and inadvertently upgrade him because they would have his future specs. Oh, nice. But we didn't do it, but but if you look close enough, there is a giant Easter egg on a computer screen that actually says 1984 and shows these little snippets of alternate Transformers history. Cool. To make it easier for people is polygon.com, the website Mm -hmm. actually did an article where they figured all that out. And I was shocked how quickly they figured it all out. Wow. So that's worth checking out. But Hasbro, to their credit, because I think we used so many of the characters from the toy line, mm-hmm. um, especially in Siege, that when we were sort of three seasons into it, they weren't going to give us a hard time, especially when we couldn't figure out a genuinely compelling story reason for the Earth modes. Right. right. Which Makes I'm sure sense. there are fans who are listening to this be like, hate me for it, because I've gotten the usual comments like, wow, no Earth modes. What is this all about? But As loyal as we try to be with the toys, there's certain instances where we just couldn't.
0: Yeah. Because yeah, because at this at the same time, you have to be not a slave too, but like just you have to acknowledge the amount of space that you have to work with. And there there really is, just like you said, having to go taking the time like to leave Cybertron, then traveling to Earth, crashing on Earth, getting reformatted on Earth continuing everything and then somehow getting some sort of time time travel incident that puts them all the way back at, at the beginning. Like you get whiplash by, yeah. by doing and then you
1: then you've confused the audience and you've sort of lost them. That's the honest to God truth is yeah. it just believe me when I tell you, even from the earliest stages of development. Mm-hmm we were trying to figure out ways around that. I mean, even yeah. Hasbro was presenting ideas and it was just like, I'm like, guys, it doesn't, I want to help you, but it, it, it can't work. That's yeah. the problem. Right. And that's the honest to God truth. Yeah. And we'll delve into this a, a
0: little bit more, but let's go back to the very beginning because from just the brief amount of time that I've known you having seen a siege earth rise and kingdom and loving them so much, Spoiler alert. Yeah. I love them all. And I am. That helps.
1: That helps the conversation.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really taken with that sort of with, with the way that ev- that the characters were, that's the thing that really, that really grabbed me. I love the fact that there were, that there were the way that the, the factions were, there were strategies against each other. And it wasn't a typical, it wasn't like the, the same old episodes that we, that we knew from growing up we didn't know like not like so that way it's not specific to each episode is just like a different plan than megatron has an end game in his mind and it's not all laid out the way that it was at the beginning it's not megatron saying and more than meets the eye episode one we shall return home with the power to make the ultimate weapon and conquer the universe like there it is right there episode one this is not something you can just put on passively and just go off and do something else. You have to be fully invested in what's going on. And I appreciate that as a fan. So I can assume with 99% certainty that you were a fan growing up uh, with
1: this oh, yeah, franchise, yeah. correct? Yeah, but, the, but strictly G1, and I'm being candid, being nice. Is the, I, I was lucky to be the right age, a little, little kid when Transformers first arrived in yeah. the world
0: yeah
2: same here so
1: i had the advantage of being able to go to see the 86 movie and and really get the early toys Mm and also sort of coincided with a with a lifelong interest in anime and manga and stuff like that it's its roots in japan in particular i had a, a sort of romantic love of the the post g1 japanese well they're still considered g1 but the but the Japanese shows. Oh yeah, the Headmasters. Headmasters, and Victory, and all that stuff. Like, I, I sort of had a very romantic view of like getting bootleg VHS tapes of that as a kid. Oh, stuff. I mean, yeah, certain things like that become part of your vernacular. Like the funny thing is when I was first brought into Transformers, I was a fan, but I wasn't like an uber nutso fan, right? And I was actually right. brought in initially sort of be the guy in the room who understood it, but could balance all the other writers out. This yeah. is when we did Power of the Primes. Mm -hmm. And subsequently after this one, I had to really educate myself on Beast Wars Mm -hmm. because by the time they do Beast Wars, I was like off at school and stuff like that. And like, luckily younger people on the show, like my supervising producer and one of our writers, May Kat, were the right age where it was their their entry point into Transformers. So I think that's really important when you're crafting these shows Mm -hmm. is how do you do these things in a way where you honor what's come before, mm-hmm. you honor the fan base the best you can, yeah. but also make it appealing. Because look, there is a business side to it and there is a responsibility of creating a show that's an open door to anybody who wants to jump on board and watch it. You know, Like right. my hope with this one was that if it was a young person or kid or anybody, their first time seeing Transformers, they could get invested that way and want to explore the rest of the franchise, no matter yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. So, and sort of to get that feeling that I had when it first came out, and I was obsessed with, you know, Soundwave and different characters, and they were doing all this crazy stuff, and I, it was just great.
0: So I have to ask, as from one fan to another, because I like I discovered, I discovered the the franchise when I was eight years old, and they they were out. Season one was was every Sunday morning in Poughkeepsie, New York, WPIX 11, and then and then the next season. It was five days a week in the afternoons after school, so I saw the movie when I was ten. And um, so, having just celebrated my forty fifth birthday, this this has been this has been with me. This whole franchise has been with me a lot longer than anything else, than almost anything else in my life, any other real franchise. So. As a fan, speaking from one fan to another, what was your first Transformer? Which one did you wind up owning first?
1: Oh, it was definitely Soundwave.
0: Nice. He was my third. I I got him from Kmart. I remember
1: that. and I don't remember where I got it, but the other thing was like, and the advantage of growing up in New York and we had comic stores and toy stores in Japanese communities, I would get a lot of like weird Japanese imports and stuff like that. Oh, Um, cool stuff that's long lost or whatever but yeah. the i i like i said i had a romantic view of it um mm-hmm. especially the 86 movie which because it was clearly animated differently and yeah that anime style that i just felt sort of fell in love with around that time because i was into mm-hmm. like matt cross and Dr. oh yeah. and yamato that was sort of my whole thing mm-hmm. so I remember Soundwave but then I had all the basic guys Optimus Megatron mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what else they're all they're all my dad's house somewhere Oh because um, nice. I didn't throw anything out wow but I was really into the show and I was really into stuff especially weirdly like there's a lot of corny stuff in the 86 movie I'm gonna sound mm-hmm. like I'm talking shit about it but I'm not Right. But then there's stuff like Unicron and Galvatron, and I was obsessed with that kind of stuff, like yeah. That, sort of those weird, not weird, but sort of really interesting sci-fi tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that I really found fascinating.
0: Yeah, if I would ever if I would ever show um this movie to a non fan, I would basically just start off with with Prime saying Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. And I would end it with Galvatron saying, "Would anyone else attempt to fill his shoes?" Because that fifteen-minute block of time is perfection. Like yeah. everything in that everything there worked so well, and nothing to say nothing about the the rest of the movie. I adore the the whole movie. It's obvious considering what I'm doing with this whole celebration. It's um, and but the but yeah, it's it's something really really special about that movie and that particular spot just like you said it's very it's very sci-fi oriented especially with the reformatting of megatron to galvatron and you know everything there just worked it, it worked in a way that i i just knew like as a kid and you you can tell from the attack on the shuttle that this is going to be very different than anything we've seen the first two seasons
1: yeah and, and we sort of i mean you've seen kingdom now like there, there's so many homages to that in yeah Kingdom yeah. in particular with Galvatron, and,
0: and I loved how Galvatron got brought into this. I thought that was magnificent, like the way, we, the way that, we, that was we done. Played around
1: with a lot of different ways to how to do that. Yeah, that makes sense like how how to make, like we always knew Galvatron was going to be in it. Yeah, because they told us like, hey, mm-hmm. there's going to be a Galvatron. And the beauty of the <laughs> toy people is they don't have to explain why. Yeah, you know, like we're going to do Galvatron in Kingdom. Okay, why? You well, figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we want to do a Galvatron toy. And it's like, yeah. okay. So we had a really good plan. The writers did a great job sort of introducing him in Earthrise and sort of setting it up. And I had sort of an obsession with Nemesis Prime, like how to make him mean something, et cetera. And yeah. you know, like, I even have like the Japanese Siege Nemesis Prime, which Ooh. I bought for way too much money. But <laughs> at the time, no one knew Nemesis was going to be in the show. Right. And I was like, oh, this, this is cool. I'm going to have it's, I'm staring at it right now. But like, just a little tidbit is, is sort of a nod to G one and eighty six movie is is Nemesis can fly. Oh, you know, we see Nemesis like when he jumps up in the air. Yeah, and he and he yeah. attacks Prime. That mm-hmm. was sort of a mini homage to that era where they all flew around and stuff like that. We you know we made a decision yeah. early on that they wouldn't fly. Right, because that opens just too many cans of worms. But yeah. You have the idea that like a future Nemesis Prime could figure something like that out. Oh yeah, There's a little wink nod to the old days.
0: To the to the More the Meets the Eye miniseries when they when they would be able to flop just like float in the air while they're shooting. So yeah, yeah. yeah. oh that's great. That's great. I, I didn't even notice that, but you know, that's that's fabulous. So all all the more reason to go back and and rewatch these shows. I'm I'm all for it, and I was really taken by the the way that certain elements were introduced that really as a fan just had me really kind of sitting up and take notice especially showing the quintessence ship before we got to see uh decius and just that whole that whole sequence like as soon as i saw that ship i was like oh quintessence <laughs> so yeah like this that, that, that was sequence. our director
1: came up with that we just had i think in the scripts it was and Somebody on the team, if they ever listen to this, will tell me if I'm wrong. But the scripts just had sort of listed as Decius's headquarters or base or whatever the hell, fortress or whatever. And the director showed us concept art of sort of an upside down quintessence spaceship. Mm -hmm. What I mean, like that, the idea was like, he was exiled to this part of Char. Yeah. And, but it was like a little wink nod to the 86 movie i the the director a guy named kame san mm-hmm. and there's another guy whose name i can't recall who's the guy who does all the transformations and stuff like that in animation
0: yeah
2: which are
1: um, beautiful by the way like yeah i, I was are well, they, toy accurate i don't know if I, yeah. I well most of them are yeah they worked on the old series they worked on the 86 movie oh nice so, like in a very, very like in their very early days of animation, as designers or artists or whatever. Yeah. So, the advantage of that is you sort of have a pedigree for the show
2: mm-hmm.
1: on both sort of sides of it, meaning the U.S. side and the Japan side, who have an understanding and love for it. And a lot of that has to do the the, the writers in particular, are all fans. Mm-hmm.
2: The,
1: so there's the a certain knowledge base of the fandom that comes with that. Yeah. But also the team in Japan, the animators and stuff like that, they they have genuine love for it. And mm-hmm. then the the other thing that is the animation studio Polygon Pictures in Japan, they've worked on tr- multiple Transformers series. So you have people there who understand how these shows operate and what is expected from them. Right.
0: Right. And did did Hasbro give any sort of... Any, did they have any issues with characters that, that did not stay alive for very, for very long?
1: We had a list from them. Yeah. So we had sort of a, like, at the time, there was a very large list of characters for all three shows. And yeah. and by the way, that doesn't mean they all ended up as toys or not. Like, it was really early on. Like, right. things evolved and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was a certain list of especially starting with siege, like these characters can stay on Cybertron. These characters have to go on the arc for earth Right.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And then there was a sort of list of you can kill this character, that character, et cetera. I don't even remember it. Oh, wow. To be honest with you, we just sort of went and did it. And then there were characters like who weren't even originally supposed to be in the toy line at all. Like Alita or Alpha, uh, not, yeah, like Alpha Trion and all this yeah. stuff that we just ended up using because they made more sense for the story. Right, right.
0: And, and I, I, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention this. Like I'm sure like all, you know, other fans were probably up in arms about this, but I was able to accept the fact early on, right the, about the very beginning that the voices i knew growing up and everything would not be associated with this so i just went with how they not not even how they gave their interpretation but how they applied their voice to each character considering the situations and i was i was still really taken by it i think that the acting in, in this across the board i thought was very very good right. and especially the 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 scene between Optimus and Megatron, the how did we get, get to this? I am a sucker for those kinds of scenes. I am an absolute sucker. Like the, I'm sure that I, I, I know that Michael Mann didn't exactly think of me when he came up with the coffee shop scene with Pacino and De Niro and heat, but <laughs> like any, any time when you have your, your main characters, your, your main protagonist, your antagonist, when they're sitting down somewhere, like there is a, when it's done right, there is a really good aura about that scene, and I felt yeah, which that.
1: scene? Sorry, which scene? The one in the first one or the second one? Uh,
0: second, second one. Uh, when Earth they're
1: Rise. in the, the space station and all that. Yeah, that stuff. yeah, and
0: and 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 Optimus said basically like uncovered Megatron when he was yeah. when he was covered by the rubble. I I was just I I must have rewound that scene like about two or three times, just like well, I, I I need to like get really get into this, especially because it's inspiring for my own writing because I'm working on part three of my own uh, YA sci-fi trilogy. And having, you know, gone through, you know, quite a bit of that, I have moments in the second one where there's where there are incidents such as that. So I am, like I said, I'm a sucker for that. And the fact that I got to see that moment between Optimus Prime and Megatron, when they would normally, like, I'm, I'm so used to them just basically beating the hell out of each other if they were that close, the way they were in the movie. So the fact that they actually had a real legit conversation, I thought was wonderful.
1: We tried, look, we tried really hard. First of all, thank you yeah. for all that. It's, it's, I appreciate you saying all that. The second part of that is we tried, especially in Siege, again, this goes back to what I was talking about with the being welcome, the, making a show that was sort of not a brick wall for newcomers. Yeah. So especially we in Siege, I'm sort of, backtracking to get to the scene you are talking about oh, yeah. is we have that that conflict very early on that sort of fist fight between the two of them
2: mm-hmm.
1: when he goes to rescue being wheeljack optimist yeah. in the thing and one of the reasons why we did that well there's several reasons we did that one was we wanted to clearly especially for newcomers or anybody watching the show's clearly establish the conflict yeah between the two of them and, and what the sort of a what the stakes are b what their personal relationship was and we sneak a lot in there about alpha trion about them being the students of alpha trion and all this stuff and how to do that and it was also to show at that point megatron was physically the dominant alpha in their yeah. relationship yeah because in our sort of minds if it wasn't for this ideological split and Megatron's sort of greed or you know, desire for power and inability to be flexible mm-hmm. for what he thinks is best for Cybertron, he might've been the leader. He might've, yeah. like, and even Optimus at a certain point acknowledges that. Yeah. So subsequently, when you get to the second one in that scene you're talking about, which I'm a big fan of that scene yeah. also, um, and I believe Tim Sheridan wrote that scene, and it's a, it's a great scene. Thank you, in, Tim. Thank you, Tim, yeah. for
0: doing that, because it's, it's real, it
1: really was terrific. It, it, it's it's a bit where we expand on it a little bit, that what that relationship is, even at this point, now that all the sort of, all this awful stuff has happened between the two of them, and they're trying to save the planet and all this stuff, yeah. but it's still intentionally intimate. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, and I, I feel like people don't quite get this at times with the show, mm-hmm. it was to show just how in a lot of ways, Optimus and Megatron are very similar. They're two sides yeah. of a coin. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't want it to be mustache twirly. Yeah. You know, that, what you were referencing in the old episodes in More Than Meets the Eye, where it's like, I want power and I want blah, blah, blah. In his mind, Megatron in particular, this is what's best for his people. Yeah. And Prime can't understand that from the point of view of violent means or extreme measures kind of thing. Right. And that's why he says in the beginning in the first season, we're not the Decepticons when they let B go. Right. He knows right. if that was the with the Decepticons, B would be locked up or worse. Mm-hmm. And so we were fortunate and Hasbro knew we were going to do this and they were on board with all this sort of trying to, when the moments presented themselves, dive into the intricacies of their relationship and who they are as people. And I think it's tricky with Optimus because he's so stoic. It's almost like Superman to a degree. It's like, what can you do with him? Yeah. You know I mean, so like, especially when Megatron refers to Alita as Ariel, she's dead and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he's still trying to mess with Optimus. He's still trying to to him. Like he still mm-hmm. knows how to push the buttons. And Optimus, at this point, these guys are relatively young. I mm-hmm. want to say young in comparison to what we know them as. Right. Right. So... They still have that ability to get under each other's skin
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: almost pains Megatron that primes the one who's going to rescue him. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of like when he turns on him later. Yeah. Like Megatron just knows how to be a manipulative dude. Yeah. So again, I, I appreciate you acknowledging that scene because you're probably the first to really bring that up in any significant way. Yeah. Because the, the, the thing with these shows is, and I'm going to sound like a, a bit of an asshole sorry if i can't curse on this <laughs> it's um, all right i'll just
0: i'll just slap an e on it No worries.
1: worry okay. the, the <laughs> thing is when you talk about the voices and, and things like that which we've gotten a lot of flack for and i acknowledge that right it's it's the and i'm saying this as somebody literally who has star wars on in the background on the tv and all this stuff and is dc comics fan and star wars fan and transformers fan and all this yeah. stuff i've gotten to a point personally where like if i don't like something like I don't like the Zack Snyder DC movies, right? Right. I'm not going to go online and and shit talk them or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just they're always going to make more and something'll eventually click. Right. I mean like and I and I do like anybody who tries something new with something mm-hmm. like JJ with Star Trek and all that stuff. Yeah. And but the the, the problem is now these franchises and, and you and I are are men of a certain age. I'm only a couple years older than you. Mm-hmm. That the problem is we're the first sort of generation of legitimate like fandom, right? Yeah. And now we're into like two, three, four generations of fandom since in particular the 70s, the 60s, 70s into the 80s is where it really kicks off. Yeah. And the problem is like anything in life, you always remember your first love, right? Mm-hmm. Or yep. you remember when you first loved, fell in love with something. Mm-hmm. And the problem becomes that... There's an, with that comes an expectation when these things come out. Yeah. Right. Like there's an expectation of, and, and you're subsequently judged, not always on the work. And I'm not saying this applies to everybody, not always on the work, but what person, what somebody's romantic vision of such and such franchise should be
0: Mm -hmm.
1: versus it's more about what it should be versus what it actually is. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, we yeah, we all have our like our thoughts like back then about like what what should what it should be and and falling in love with that and everything as we as we saw it then, but then as the as time goes on, it's like we have our own interpretation of what they of what they were and how they made us feel, which is why like there are a lot of things that when we revisit them years later, it's like I don't remember it being like that and then all of a sudden like the the bloom is off the rose. Now, all of a sudden, it was just like something that you watched religiously when you were a kid. You can't bring yourself to watch now. Well, that's um, how
1: I was with the Adam West Batman, right? Yeah. So, which, when we were kids, were on in reruns. Right. Because it was before our time, right? But the... The 89 movie kind of spoiled that. <laughs> no, but but I'm even talking before that. Like, so yeah. the... And the 89 movie is one of those things that really holds up. And then... Yeah. But I remember... I mean, I'm talking three, four years old, Mm -hmm. being scared out of my mind by Cesar Romero, yeah, right? Like Mm -hmm. Really like the Joker scared the living hell out of me. And then I remember being six or seven years old and being like, exactly like you said, what was that about? Yeah. Why was I scared of that guy? Mm -hmm. And then again, being the right age for Dark Knight Returns and Mm -hmm. Watchmen and all these things that sort of, comics at a certain point sort of grew up alongside our age group in particular yeah and so by the time you get to the 89 batman you're a teenager and it's the coolest thing you've ever seen right right
0: your sensibilities are all like dialed in at the right time yeah right And and i'm sorry oh i was thinking like it's it's i saw recently the 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 reissued masters of the universe figures that were done like in the early 2000s or so i i think it was either Four Horsemen or Super 7 or something like that, that, that redid them. But what they did was they took the old versions from the early 80s and then they made them larger. They made them more detailed. They made them more articulate. And it was basically just like, this is how we thought they would be back then. So it's kind of like, it's almost catching us up to those sensibilities. So seeing something like this, I thought was was very refreshing because it didn't feel like it it had enough of Generation One, but it didn't try to emulate it so much and be a slave
1: to it. I appreciate that, like, that, and and that was intentional. It's it's when you talk about Masters of the Universe, what they did with the current show was the intention of, hey, we're going to continue on where it left off. Right, and we we weren't going to do that with this meaning. Mm-hmm obviously we get a glimpse of what the toy line is going to be and what the packaging is going to be and what the tone and the thing. And a lot of that is based on Hasbro studying who their buying audience is. So I'm, I'm, I'm creating a show for the widest possible audience for Transformers. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily commercial for toys, but I was trying to always approach it. The writers were always trying to approach it as being a fan friendly show in terms of, Respecting the toys, maybe I was naive about this, George, to begin with. In that we used—I've I've said this plenty of times before—but we used the digital data, the CAD data of the toys to create our models, mm-hmm. especially in Siege and Earthrise. Yeah. So the idea was, hey, they would be toy accurate, and the transformations where we could afford it and do it, especially the main characters—Optimus, Megatron, etc.—would be like when you see them transform on screen, that's actually accurate to the toy. Yeah. And I thought in my mind that was a selling point, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have a subsection of the audience going, Well, I can see all the toy marks. I can see the holes and blah blah blah. And it's like, what's that fine line between creating the entertainment and satisfying the fan? Right. And I, I feel to, to the credit of everybody involved with it, we sort of successfully walked that line because I think we we helped drum up interest in the toys. Hasbro for a fact has told me that the toys have taken a significant bump because of the show, mm-hmm. which is very refreshing. And, and the show yeah. has done very well. Viewer wise, especially with the diehard audiences and families, which was a big surprise because we were trying to do something that skewed a little older, but we found out more families were watching with their kids. And I think that has to do with, again, going back sound like a bunch of boomers, but guys our age who have kids now, yeah. wanting to share that experience yep. of Transformers. and I,
0: I, do th- I do that with my daughter. My daughter's three years old and I got her the Bumblebee and Optimus from the Rescue Bots Academy line. Uh, so she has her own and then I have my own. And and then she'll want to watch, she actually likes watching a lot of the G1 episodes because so I think she can just like identify them a lot, the easiest. But she'll, but like we'd be watching War for Cybertron and she would point at the screen and say, like, is that Megatron? And I was like, yes, very good. <laughs> so it's, it was good. It was refreshing to see, to see that. It was good to, to know that, that she's getting into it just like I am. Just like I've always have always. So been what you're saying
1: is, is that she's going to host the 10th anniversary podcast when I come back. Basically, yeah. <laughs>
0: <Just> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, and and also speaking of uh, speaking of Wheeljack and Bumblebee, good call putting them in the in the first scene together.
1: That was a tribute. George Christick, who's one of the producers, and, and came up with the story with me. Yeah, he came up with that idea. He wrote that episode. And that was so smart. I you was, know, the I, idea was, how do we do? I, I'm sure I, I get my. There's always those fans who are going to abuse me and send me nasty messages and stuff like that. But the show was definitely intended to be. A love letter to yeah. the franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. Sort of focused first on G1. Yeah. And yeah. starting at that point, at least in my mind, was when George came up with it, was this is something to honor what's come before. This is something to say, this is this is what we love and this is what we respect. Yeah hope that all makes sense. We say it that, does though. it
0: does yeah. And it's and it's it's tributes like that that are that are unexpected and happily welcomed. Like I wouldn't have thought that if if to have the first scene feature Wheeljack and Bumblebee but it's brilliant. It's it was it was a great it was a great means of reminding people just like oh yeah those are the those are the first two Autobots. Transformers in general that we saw in more than meets the eye part one, like, and um, just like, and all the different, all the other sort of name droppings like Ariel and Orion and all that, all that sort of stuff was just really, it, it, it took me back. It, like, it it reminded me that this is a franchise that's worth continuing on. And as long as you can, you know, as long as you look at those, Generation One, shows the movie, even the Marvel comics that provides a wonderful template, and you can just go wherever you like from there. But having those little nods, that's a that's a great way to look to acknowledge the fans with that.
1: Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you caught that.
0: Yeah. So, so FJ, I have to ask when when all this was when you were working on this, since we're talking about G1 were there any talents from G1 that stopped in and kind of g- gave their feedback about what was going on?
1: Yeah. Well, we got very, very lucky in that sort of in the process, I got to reconnect. I'd known him years before, but with Flint Dilly, who I'm, I know you've had on.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. and you Had him and, on twice. But, he's a
1: prince of a man. So yes, he's wonderful. In fact, yeah. his book is right here. Oh, and, I, lo- I
0: love the book. Yeah. yeah it's so good.
1: And yeah. Flint was really supportive. We had him, this was literally just before COVID. Mm -hmm. And he came to the office and we screened the first episode for him. Yeah. And he was so supportive and so nice about it Mm -hmm. in that. And he would tell us how he would tell us these great stories where it was basically like, I think the exact quote he said to me was, I feel sorry for you guys. Mm. And I said, why? He goes, because when we did the original shows, we thought they would air twice and never be seen again. There was no VHS, there was no home video yet. Yeah. There was blah, blah, blah. He goes, We didn't think about things like continuity mm-hmm. or legacy or whatever. Yeah. And even when he goes, Even when we did the 86 movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he goes, Now, he goes, I didn't realize till years later, and I started working with people who had sort of we're in the industry because of things like this that how much it means to people. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so it's like, he, he's a guy who understands and appreciates the fans of it. You know what I mean like he, 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 he sat there and he was the, he was so good about how to, he basically said to me like, don't sweat it at a certain point. You know what I mean like, yeah. Just you know, tell was, your story. Throwing, emails like, yeah. You make your show. Don't worry about it. Right,
0: yeah. Because I mean, really, if if people want that show, then they're more than welcome to check it out on Tubi. They have it there for free. And if they, but if they want something that takes those characters in some new and really interesting directions, I would wholeheartedly recommend this to them.
1: Uh, Yeah, and it's, I respected it because, like I was saying before. I want new. Yeah. I mean, like, but I mean I'm I, I'm one of those guys like I don't need to go back. Like the like the Master of the Universe thing, like the continuation of the series. Like, I don't get that personally, right? As a fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need the continuation of like, hey, this picks up five minutes later. Like, right. I'm okay with Star Wars, like, oh, we'll do prequels and sequels and stuff. Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as it's good and interesting and all that stuff. Right. With this. To me, it was, we had, the, the inherent thing, especially now that all three seasons are out, is the understanding that by the, be- and I told Hasbro this at a certain point, is by having the Beast Wars characters in this, you inherently contradict G1 and Beast Wars. Mm. So by its nature, it's it's new. And from this idea came the idea that we sort of, set up in this, which is there's a Transformers multiverse. Yeah. And some of this had to do with the fact that early on Hasbro said that they want, they were trying to like, when I give you context, I'm talking really out of school is when I started working with Hasbro on power of the primes, which I was not the showrunner of just a writer. Mm -hmm. It was, you'd sit there and say, well, what is your current version of Megatron? They'd be like, whatever you want whatever you want to do like they were super supportive wow but the, but by the time we got to but they had no sort of like they they spent the last couple of years sort of developing the brand internally which is sort of what siege in particular is the launching point of the aligned continuity along with cyberverse right so the idea yeah. was if something if a significant historical thing happened in the show like Optimus throwing the all spark into the space bridge mm-hmm. and because cyberverse touches on that we touch on it it it's told differently, but it's still the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. by the time we got to uh, Siege, after doing the third one, of uh, Powers of the Prime, Power of the Primes, they had these brand decks and these like beautiful, like four or 500 page documents of who these characters are and all that stuff that you give to writers and like, and you just want to, as a fan, want to being, having access to this is amazing. Yeah. So we couldn't, we didn't want to retread what, what had existed already. We wanted to, sure, when it first came out, we said it's a prequel to G1, and technically the story is, but where it goes, especially when they enter the dead universe and the whole galaxy sort of changes, Yeah. the idea was to open up all these new possibilities that you could do anything with these guys.
0: And yeah, it definitely shows. And I, like I said, I was really taken by it. I would recommend any other fan definitely give give it a look I'm glad to hear that that Flint gave his gave his blessing with it and I'm hoping that that goodwill continues on now I do have to ask really quickly do you have a chapter two set in mind for everything here from from this trilogy considering the way that there are quite a few threats that are still out there do you have something in mind or is it something where you're just gonna you've gotten this far and you're just gonna like leave it alone for for now and if if an opportunity comes later then you can all, you
1: have the means to pick it up the only answer i can give you to that george is a little bit of both hmm. yeah meaning yes there are ideas where it goes mm-hmm. and yes we will wait to see if if, it, if it's
0: called it. if, if, you, yeah, if, if you're, you're if you're if called upon it
1: call and do it yeah we're prepared we, we might not get the call we might right. get the it's it's that's how it is
0: yeah i i I know how that is like i have my five-part sci-fi trilogy that's serial that's that's out there right now it's in you know book form and everything and i have an idea for a sequel but i know that that the only way that i'm going to explore that is if there is enough if there's an if there's enough demand for it so like that's it's something that i'll just kind of keep in the back of my mind but at the same time i'm not ready to 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 bring it out and start ex- and start exploring it because I wow. haven't gotten any call for it so I'll just leave it alone for the time being but <laughs> so one thing I I definitely have asked all my guests before FJ what would you say it's been three and a half decades now since Transformers the movie has come out granted we didn't touch on it all that much here but at the same time we've done we've done quite a bit of talking about it during this whole month. And I'm curious to get your take on this. What would you say it is about this movie? It's been three and a half decades. Hasbro is is all in celebrating its 35th anniversary. They have the studio series 86 line, which looks fabulous. And they're doing there's so much goodwill surrounding this. Another re-release of the movie itself, now on 4K. And everything that's that's gone that's gone on like recently, it just feels like there's one big continuing love fest for this movie that's not going to go away anytime soon what would you say for in your eyes what would you say is the legacy of this movie
1: I that's such a that's a question that can be answered on so many different levels it, yeah it it has the nature of never having been done before at the yeah. time yeah it's,
0: it's ballsy it's something it's,
1: at this scope meaning yeah just on, just on paper, the idea of like, hey, we're going to do a giant animated movie with actors, famous actors doing the voices. Like, no one had done that kind of stuff before. Yeah. Right? And again, they were all, in those days, even Flint will sort of tell us this, they were commercials for toys, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but then, when you go beyond the audacity of doing it, which is amazing, mm-hmm. right? The second part is, the movie is literally insane. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Structure, I'm talking from a structural point of view, a storytelling point of view, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the other big thing is, especially in a non-internet age where you went into things cold and not knowing what was gonna happen, mm-hmm. is yeah. the sheer audacity. That's the, the word I keep going back to, yeah, of killing prime and reformatting Megatron. Mm-hmm. Which in our more cynical years, we know there were there were business toy reasons for this kind of thing. Right. But they right.
0: could have gone but they could have gone like the full on cynical route and like stuck all the 84 guys onto a ship and then thrown it into the sun. And then it would just be like, oh, they're gone. All right, let's go ahead and let's go and focus on these guys now. That would have been just pure cynical. And like fans would have seen right through that. But thankfully they didn't do that. Right. And granted, they they gave, and this was, this was from my talk with both Ron Friedman and Flint. They were given the, the directive from Hasbro to kill these characters, not just, mm-hmm. not just not write, like write them out or put them over you know here while the new characters are taking center stage. They wanted them dead. Like they were literally, they were, they would have sent a Hasbro rep over to your toy box, picked up your iron hide, broken it in half, and then say here now buy Ultra Magnus. So, but, but at the same time, like, like you said, it's, it was, it still has, shows so much audacity. I always say like, it's ballsy, like from start to finish, they did things that you could not get away with these days.
1: Oh, no, no. You could never do any of this now. And I mean, like, and that's the beauty when we were sort of talking about before about the era Mm -hmm. is all these things were new and all these things were doing. And, And to your point, ballsy is the best word for it. Yeah. Because I think it's those sort of significant, and it's so tonally all over the place. And I mean that in an affectionate way. Yeah. Right. That what happens is everybody who watches it latches onto something in it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you like the cornier part of it, or if you like the Optimus dying part of it, or the Unicron part of it, like it, it's just this amazing sort of concoction of all these cool elements of the, the actual premise of robots that transform. And subsequently, it's also, by the way, from a technical level, it's so miles ahead of the, the TV series. Oh, yeah. And, and that was a big thing for me was the, the quality of it. Mm-hmm. the Japanese anime feel of it really stuck with me in particular. Yeah. yeah. And and some of those set pieces, you know, especially the Galvatron converting Megatron to Galvatron. It's,
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: so wild and so wonderful and had never been done before. And, I, and that had a big impact on the show, especially with the way we use Galvatron. And we sort of applied a lot of that logic to Nemesis Prime yeah. and Unicron, which when we originally wrote it, Unicron was just going to be a voice kind of thing. But then mm-hmm. we found out long before anybody knew about it, that Hasbro was going to do this giant Unicron toy. And we were able to use the assets from that.
0: Which is insane. It was just like, I, I looked at that. I was just like, there's, there's no way I can possibly own this now, but that would definitely be like a bucket list thing to, to own. It looks fabulous. I love, I have I no love place the
1: to put it. Look. That's the real yeah. <laughs> problem. There's literally no place to put it. So yeah. it's like, like, I didn't even ask. I always have to ask <laughs> Like, I always have to be like, guys, can I have this? But like, that, I was just like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with this thing. Like, I don't know where we're going to put this. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even have fit in the office. At the, yeah. You know, but it's so gorgeous. And and mm-hmm. and as much as we wanted to do stuff like that, we also wanted to do things that were new in it or brought new things to it. Like, or like how to take a lead of one and make her a significant character and my favorite thing was our ability to introduce the mercenary faction into it do something new or the arc turning into the bot at the end. You know, oh, yeah. these, were, these were things that we felt very fortunate and privileged to be able to introduce into the franchise for the first time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so what would, what would you say your final thoughts are on this trilogy now that it's out? It's been out just a few weeks at this point. So you're, you're pretty fresh on, on, on everything. So you, when you look back at it, this, this trilogy, which was, I would definitely say is a high mark of the, of this, of this franchise. And it's gone through like a lot of different ebbs and flows, but this one's a definite, this one's a a definite like must watch. I would say like for,
1: um, that I would say to any, any fan. Well, thank you. First off, (laughs) the first thing. The thing is, and I'm just being honest with you is I'm so close to it. Mm -hmm. that what i can say is i'm super proud of it yeah and i'm super proud of the the work everybody worked on it put into it because it's i've been around a little bit in this industry and i've never been involved with a project where everybody involved was aligned in what this should be and how to do it so Mm -hmm you know, in terms of it being a very, very smooth experience with, with the occasional speed bumps that all productions have. Right. But the, what I do know is 5, 10, 20 years from now, it, it's something I'll remain in, incredibly proud of in order to, 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 to have had the privilege of being someone who, who gets to contribute in the sort of rarefied air of the people you've been talking to. Yeah. To, to to contribute in a significant way to this franchise.
0: Oh yeah. And that is definitely that is definitely a uh, mission
1: accomplished there. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, FJ DeSanto, for being a part of this show and this miniseries. We're gonna get right back in with the returning Flint Dilly to talk about everything that happened on the show right after Transformers the movie. But first, a quick word about the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. Founded in 1988 by Paul Newman, the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp provides a different kind of healing to more than 20,000 seriously ill children and family members annually, all completely free of charge. For many of these children and families, Hole in the Wall provides multiple camp experiences throughout the year at the facility in Ashford, Connecticut, in more than 40 hospitals and clinics, directly in camper homes and communities, and through other outreach activities across the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. I'm going to have this link available so you can go ahead and click on the button there and donate just as I am this month. All you have to do is go to holeinthewallgang.org. Thank you very much, and without further ado, let's go to the second half of this episode. So Flynn, you were also responsible for a lot that brought that came into season three that picked up, basically right where the movie left off, and you were also introducing all these new characters to a lot of people that really had not seen the movie. And so they it, you were int- you were given a really interesting task to start up this whole new season, introduce all these new characters. With vague, with vague references to the movie. So that way they still have something to kind of go back on. Right. So what was it, what was it like getting the opportunity to do what I consider one of the finest stories in all of Transformers, which was five faces of darkness.
3: Well, yeah. Five faces of darkness was an interesting one because, yeah, we were trying to figure out, yeah. As you pointed out, and you're right. We, we, we realized we were picking up from the, the, end of the last se- season, we realized that we, the f- series had fundamentally transformed. It's, it's yeah, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. it was, it was now 20 years later. We didn't, we didn't really account, nor did anybody give a lot of thought to how you would account for the year, the in-between mm-hmm. years. Because what's funny is the movie, it doesn't feel that yeah. unnatural. So we just, we didn't really address mm-hmm. that issue. And uh, what, what, and it worked out pretty well, but the, there is this nice hole you can yeah. have fun with. The problem is, is that, yeah, you know, when when the, it all leads to the movie, it, it takes a little of the mystery out of out of mm-hmm. the story, right? And so, and so, yeah, figure out how to do it. But what I thought was really good was, yeah, we we it was a very conscious decision to start it started it twenty years after and to keep rolling yeah. with it that way. And and so, five faces of darkness was. That are the actual toys themselves, which remember they, they're, they're leading the charge yeah. on this. The actual toys themselves in, in season three were very science fiction-y looking oh, yeah. toys. They didn't, the toys didn't look anymore like, like there was something right. on earth, you know? And so then it was the, so then the, the fun became, okay, you're in the aftermath of this war. We, and, and the movie introduced all sorts of, and, and there, that's not to say that none of this was ever mm-hmm. in the series, just. It, all sorts of planets we'd never seen before, all sorts of races of people we'd never yep. seen before, and and so it was. It went from being a Earth based Transformers show to a space based Transformers
0: yeah. show, right? And it was a blast to see. Too.
2: And
3: yeah. yeah, it's and that exact moment I was doing, I was you know working on like Dungeons and Dragons things, so I thought, oh, let's bring some of that mm-hmm. into into Transformers, yeah. and and we, and we did. We it, all of a sudden you had strange aliens that looked like I don't know that they looked like dragons, but they looked yeah. like something. And then you have Scuxoids, you have <laughs> sort of funny aliens, oh, yeah. you have all sorts of ridiculous characters running around. And and we had mm-hmm. fun doing that. Um and and so and you start having, you know, extragalactic Olympics and yeah and, and and then you the the entire series then then there was this kind of a kind of and i don't know you know whether this is just my inner darkness or or why it happened but a lot of things took on a kind of darker more morbid tone than they previously yeah, had yeah i would say that and uh, i would
0: i would what? say i would say that but at the same time like it's this is my third year associated with with the project i've gone from with with all this like i started watching it in third grade And then fourth grade, now here I am in fifth grade, like I'm getting older. So it seems like the show itself is getting older with me, which I appreciate.
3: Well, that was the, that was another thing. Actually, I've never talked about this before, but that was another thing Mm -hmm. we didn't know is we didn't know whether the audience would get older. We we would sort of advance in our thinking about this stuff. And what we didn't know is whether the audience Mm -hmm. would too, which is just kind of an interesting question. And so- it we we tended to do older mm-hmm. things in, in the third season and and the audience seemed to kind of yeah. ride with it and also yeah shortly after we started probably probably like right after i wrote 5 Paces mm-hmm. of darkness then you know we got we got the 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 bad call that hasbro was upset because the story then was that a kid had locked himself into uh into his basement and was hadn't come out for a week yeah. right Yep. we have, and I yeah. believe this I didn't right. have kids then I mean now as a parent what I know is our kids could have locked themselves and yeah you know, or lock sorry locked themselves <laughs> in the bathroom and didn't come out for a week that we believe that story okay and as a parent now I know that my kids would have been able to lock themselves in the bathroom for about three minutes <laughs> and that probably yeah. solved but I was totally buying into oh some kid locked himself into the bathroom for for, you know, for, for a week and that's because we killed Optimus Prime and it ruined his life. And we right. felt bad about that. And, and Hasbro felt bad about that. And so they, they you know just wanted a fix. You know, was just But, like Dark, Awaken-
0: but Dark Awakening and was so, already in the pipeline at that point, right?
3: Well, Dark Awakening was exactly was in the pipeline. And nobody had the heart <laughs> to tell Hasbro, oh, yeah, we did another episode where Optimus Prime comes back as a zombie <laughs> and we kill him again. That, that would not have been a good career move. And so we just kind of you know that was such a great
0: episode though. It was yeah. that it packed it, such it a great was. punch. Yeah, you yeah. know, that
3: was like yeah, and and I think I mean I, I'm I'm not sure who's credited with but writing it. Was, it. Uh, uh you know it was uh, Anthony's elusive.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean I think of it as Steve Gerber because I remember him pitching that idea. Uh but <laughs> I'm sure Anthony's uh, I can really see wrote Steve it, doing you
0: know, that. But,
3: yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was just pure uh, pure, yeah. pure Gerber. And I can't I I mean it's possible that he didn't write it but he was just highly amused by the fact we were going right. to kill him again <laughs> and uh, or that we had it in the process and and uh, you know I, and I think he, Steve might have been editing at that point cuz I was I was still running transformers but I was on on doing in humanoids and visionaries and I think starting visionaries yeah. and stuff like that and so, so that I was I was otherwise occupied by mm-hmm. that point, uh, but yeah, that was yeah that was uh, Dark Awakening is one oh, of yeah. my favorites. Yeah. It's one of those things where you just there's just something kind of there's something yeah. cool about it. Yeah, it's and Star Scream's ghost is uh, yeah. one other one. We were we we're just going all sorts of because de- because I would personally was probably about as bummed out about killing Star Scream as I was prime. He was such I a great just, character. Yeah, you know, that's probably. You know, like yeah, yeah, he's a great character. And he was, he was always one of our favorite Transformers. And, and so I, 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 I wanted to bring him back yeah. in some form. And, and a lot of these characters came back. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ultra Magnus comes back without right. explanation. Right. Because it just, nobody really wanted to see right. Ultra <laughs> Magnus dead. But yeah, that's, that's the really interesting thing about it, is, is that the third season, for a variety, I mean, at a sheer production behind the veil, a sheer, a sheer production issue, we knew that was probably the last yeah. hurrah. And so, yeah, they ordered very few shows. They really just wanted Optimus right. Prime back. Yeah, I'll never know whether, how much that was because Hasbro yeah, well, was basically unhappy about the fact that we killed them and how much it was they had enough episodes for a, for a uh, mm-hmm. you know, package, for a syndication package they didn't need anymore. I don't know what the really... Uh, real- yeah. But yeah, that's, that's and I I happens, just
0: wish you know, I just cool. wish like as a fan as someone who's you know been steeped in all of this for over thirty five years, I just wish that the that whoever had put together the two parter Return of Optimus Prime, <laughs> had it start off after <laughs> after Prime ship blew up, and just had him just like. Yeah. floating out there and so then they could say like hey what's that that's that's right there and they can see his banged up body and everything instead of just sitting on a ship completely pristine condition
3: yeah i, I think i think that at that moment the the issue was not how elegant are we going to be about this let's just, just stop the bleeding but yeah that no that would have been a cool, yeah way.
0: everything cool. else i mean like the the look of that of those episodes it, it was that was the best looking animation since the movie like that was something that just the look of that movie was spectacular oh,
3: that's funny because the animation on that is 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 frequently a you know controversial yeah. topic and the, the, a lot of people thought that season three looked bad yeah and there and there is a faction i mean it's really it's really funny there is a faction of people who think exactly who you think and the thing was yeah. really five faces of darkness and what's really funny is that that and i i i particularly like that not you know not just because i wrote mm-hmm. it but what, what I like that we did in that was that we, we were sort of setting up the franchise for what, what could the franchise mm-hmm. be sort yeah. of forever, you know what I mean, and, and what could we do, what can we do with it? And, and Five Faces of Darkness really, I kind of, I kind of felt when I got done with that, okay, the, the franchise is in good hands and yeah. Godspeed. Yeah. You know what yep. I mean, yeah. and then, and then season three was really just kind of a smorgasbord of possibilities for what could happen.
0: Thank you so much, Flynn Dilly. Thank you so much, F.J. DeSanto. What a terrific part four this was for the Transformers the Movie 35th anniversary celebration. Next week, we're finishing it all off with part five, talking about the legacy of Transformers the Movie. We're not only going to hear from returning guests, giving their final thoughts, but we're also going to be hearing a lot from two different designers from Hasbro talking about the Transformers Studio Series and everything else that they have been working on plus everything that inspired them to join Hasbro in the first place. We are ending this miniseries in the best possible way. I am so excited, and I'm so thrilled that all of you have been able to listen. I hope that all of you have been able to give to the Hole in the Wall gang camp, and I really hope that all of you come back for part five in this great miniseries. Until then, this is George Saroy saying to all of you, till all are one and ever upward. Thank you for listening to the Excelsior Journeys miniseries celebrating the 35th anniversary of Transformers the movie. Thank you for donating to the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. Thank you, Zach Comtois, for providing the intro and outro to this miniseries. For more information about Excelsior Journeys, please go to slash podcasts.